Welcome back to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 10. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. I do apologize for the lateness of this episode. Weather and other circumstances have made it kind of impossible for me to record recently. Thankfully, I've got a bit of a window here to get this episode out, so that's what I plan to do. Well, here we are. Ten episodes in. Outcast isn't even half over yet, but finally the show is in the double-digit range. Looking at the feed, I can see that I've got a few new subscribers, it's gone up and gone down, and I hope that in the future we'll see those numbers rise even more. I have been doing some more marketing of the podcast at this point, and I'll talk about that after the episode. I do want to do more marketing and promotion in the future, but one thing I've learned that before you really start hitting those promotional venues for a show, you'd better be ready to be consistent with your content, which I'm still working on. Anyways, with all that said, let's get to Chapter 9 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 9 Ever had that feeling when you're going into a situation and you fear the worst? You know, your mind starts playing out the absolute worst-case situation and you wind up scaring yourself into thinking something is worse than it already is. That was how I felt when I pushed the inner doors open and I stepped inside. I was fully expecting a confrontation by a handful of people, all of them coming down on me with their righteous indignation at what I'd said and done the night before. Yet, save for a few unsavory glances from some people, my entrance mostly went unnoticed. I felt relieved at this. No one stepped up to confront me, and if people were making comments behind my back, I never noticed. As we made our way through the tables on the way to the food line, I started looking around to see if that female cougar was there. It didn't look like she was, so I paid it no real mind. I figured if anyone were going to step up and tell me off about the night before, it would be her. I was ready for it, though. Having Nath on my side seemed to add a bit of credibility to what I thought was a pretty thin justification for what I'd done. Once we had our meals, Cyrus and I took a seat at an empty table. The meal was another bowl of hearty stew, but the ingredients looked different, and it didn't smell like what I'd had the night before. Still, it tasted rich, and had the bite of a few strong spices in it. Nath don't say much, said Cyrus. He usually lets his gun do the talking. He paused as he took a drink of water. Whew, that stuff's got some burn. Was he a soldier? I asked. Cyrus looked at me with his head cocked to one side. He just seemed the type, I defended, not wanting to jeopardize what I'd just recently rebuilt here. Yeah, said Cyrus. Long story short, the war messed him up and that's why he's here now. He shrugged. You'd have to talk to him to know more. I let the subject drop after that. I wasn't going to pry into Nath's personal life via someone else. I'd ask him directly if I really wanted to know what happened. 
We ate in relative silence after that, which gave me time to think. I wasn't sure how to broach the subject to Cyrus, but I was beginning to wonder what it was he was supposed to give me that would lead me to Krasa. Had he accepted my apology, or was he just being nice to me as he would to any other exile? You mentioned yesterday that you wanted to work, he finally said as I finished my stew. It wasn't a question. That's still true? I nodded. I mean, the food here is great, I said. But it'd be nice to be a little more self-sufficient. You know that to do that, you'll need a new ID, said Cyrus. And at best, you'll be looking for work where they prefer backs over brains. The stronger you are, the fewer questions they ask. I nodded and started running down a list of places where Braun trumped brain. I could be a bouncer in a tavern, though the thought of fighting every night like that didn't seem too appealing. Security guard was out, mainly because they'd need to do a security check. I assumed the ID was good, but not that good. The docs are always looking for folks, said Cyrus, almost reading my mind. Someone's got to move that cargo. Might be the best place to start. I'll do that, I said, once I can afford the new ID. Cyrus began to chuckle, and now it was my turn to stare at him with a cocked head. What is it? I asked. Cyrus stood and took his tray. Come here, kid, he said. I followed him first to drop off our trays, and then down one wall of the warehouse past the tables and even past the cots. Some exiles ain't too keen on getting help, he explained as we walked. Most times they just take our opening offer and we never hear from them. I guess they think they ain't even worthy of that. Exiles are supposed to live in shame, according to the patrons, I said. At least, that's what the texts say. Ain't one for religion, are ya? Where were the patrons last night, I countered. Though he didn't stop walking, I saw Cyrus's head turn just enough so that he could look at me with one eye. His muzzle twisted into a slight smirk. I think he was enjoying my little bits of rebellion. Or maybe he liked the idea of someone unwilling to just roll over and die for being exiled. When we got past the cots, we stood before a curtained-off section of the warehouse. I hadn't noticed this area the night before, mainly because the curtains were the same color as the walls. Any exile that needs help, said Cyrus, turning to me. We do our damnedest to help. Ain't no price for it. Say that you do right by it all. You keep your nose clean and make something of yourself, and that's all the payment we need. With that, he drew the curtain back and my eyes widened. There were two long tables there, each of them holding eight computer workstations, each connected to a hub, which then connected to what looked like a hypernet router. I should explain that the hypernet is Bengalus' global communications and media system. The term hypernet is little more than a marketing term, as the communication media over the planet has nothing to do with hyperspace. Entertainment, information, communication, just about every form of computer-based activity uses the hypernet in some way. While businesses and homes may have their own sub-networks, they all connect to the hypernet, which is in turn connected to the confederation-wide HICOS. HICOS is short for Hyperspace Communication System which does route signals from system to system through hyperspace relays. Cyrus led me over to one of the computers and bid me to sit before it. There was nothing spectacular about the machine. My former sister's computer was far more elaborate than this one, 
except this one's monitor was a bit larger, and the touchpad looked far more worn than hers. I tapped the pad to switch off the screensaver, and was introduced to what looked like an application form program, like what you'd see on a HyperNet-based employment site. This is Janus, said Cyrus, tapping the edge of the monitor. ID creation software. This is tied into the city's registry, so when you're done here, you get added to the system. I looked up at him. It's all just questions and answers, kid, he said. After that, he motioned towards the corner where what looked like a scanner was located. All you gotta do is let the machine scan you, and it's done. What does the scanner do? I asked. Not much, said Cyrus. Height, weight, blood type, all the things the registry needs to know about you. At that point, I felt fortunate that the registry didn't require Class II cyborgs to register themselves. Class ones had to, mainly because their augments were visible. Someone like me didn't have to worry about that. Once you're done here, he said, get yourself some clothes and then come find me, all right? I nodded, thanking him before staring back at the monitor. I could see the Janus logo at the top of the screen, and then a brief explanation of the program's function, the cyber name of its author, and then the form. Pretty basic to look at, but really, how flashy does one really want something like this? I reached for the keyboard, and then stopped. The full realization of what I was about to do suddenly hit me. This was it, I figured. Once I entered that name, Dallin Calamar was officially off the grid. With a new identity, I could go anywhere and do anything. I could walk away from all this and make a life for myself. A new life. A good life. The possibilities were endless. I'd have a clean slate. Even if Cyrus didn't give me what I needed to see Krasa again, this was just as good. If our kind still had tails, I'm sure mine would be twitching with anticipation. I placed my hands over the keys once more and stared at the screen. The questions were straightforward. First name, surname, birth date, city of birth, city of current residence, the usual stuff. From the looks of it, the current address field had been hard-coded to show one of the many hostels throughout the city. It made sense. A fair number of people, mostly immigrants and transient workers, often made the hostels their home while they saved up for something better. I smirked at that. I lived in a hostel too, just a little more remote than most. I had to choose a name that would not only fit me, but it had to be one with which I was comfortable. It also had to be one that I could remember easily should anyone address me by it. I typed in my own name first, gazing at the five letters. Making an anagram of it was out of the question, but maybe there was something else I could do. I started adding and removing letters slowly, assessing each new name in my mind and ultimately rejecting it. Dallin, Allen, Dalen, Dalen, Darren, Darren. Hmm. No, wait. I stared at the last name I wrote, Darren. It almost felt right, like a connection that would be true if I tweaked just one side of the equation that much more. Keeping the name in my thoughts, I made one subtle change and beheld what was on the screen. Darian. 
My new name would be Darian. Perfect. I grinned at the name, even tried it out a few times. Hi, my name's Darian. Pleasure to meet you, I said to no one in particular. Yes, that name would be perfect for me. I tapped on the confirm button on the screen and the cursor moved to the next field, surname. At the time of one's banishment, an exile loses their surname, thereby severing all ties with their clan. I felt a low growl of satisfaction muster in my throat at the mere idea of giving myself a new surname. It would be a slap in the muzzle of clan dogma worthy of the most outspoken opponents of clan society. Given what had happened here the night before, I was more than willing to go through with it. Again, though, I had to be careful and choosy in my methods to make sure it fit me properly. Like I had with my first name, I started with my former family name, Calamar. I started adding and removing letters to find the right combination. Calamar, Kamrala, Carmel, Carm, Cam, Can. Hmm. Wait. K-A-I-N. Cain. Darian Cain. It was far enough away from my real name to be believable, yet close enough that I could fit into it perfectly. I mumbled the name to myself several times, committing it to memory before confirming and moving on. I gave myself a winter birth date, which meant that according to the registry I was a legal adult. Being a tiger, even at 13, I was big enough that very few people would question my age if they looked at me. I knew my real coming of age wasn't that far off, but I wanted to start this new life of mine as soon as possible. I needed a job, and no one would hire a minor unless it was for some illegal purpose. The rest of the form was easy to fill out, and before long I tapped the submit button using the touchpad. The computer screen flashed a please wait notification, along with some little distracting animation as it processed my input. Despite how I felt on the inside, there was no real ceremony to this. It was almost clinical, in a way. Who would have thought that an action so subtle and innocent could completely change one's life forever? The screen suddenly changed and a new message appeared on it. Please stand in front of the scanner. I quickly rose from my chair and moved to the corner of the room Cyrus had pointed out earlier. Before the scanning device, a green circle marked the floor. I assumed that's where I was supposed to stand. The machine came to life the moment I stepped in. A scanning wand ran up and down my body quickly. I returned to my seat a few moments later and the please wait message greeted me again. Moments later, the printer at the end of the table whirred to life and I went to look. This wasn't your typical paper printer, but one designed to print information on Nanoflex. Everything from telescreens to portable media players used Nanoflex in some way. It could be as thin as paper, or as thick as a plate or a pane of glass, and when properly programmed could store and display any kind of information. Moments later, the card lay in the printer's output tray, and I picked it up. It responded to my touch as though it was alive. And there, staring back at me, was my own face with someone else's name. No, it was my name. My new name. This was my life now. 
my new life, my clean slate. Darian Kane, kada52467.hypernet.shanto.bengalis, was now online. I did some more checking on the card to see what other features it had. Nanoflex ID cards held more than just your identification. Depending on the issuing city and its policies, an ID card like this could also contain transit applications, maps, the ability to send and receive direct messages, and even stream media provided you had wireless earphones. I figured with such a rudimentary creation program that the card would be fairly bare bones. However, it did have the city transit app, a mapping application, and the municipal application repository to add and manage features depending on one's needs and preferences. I smiled at the transit app icon. At least I wouldn't have to walk everywhere anymore. I pocketed the card as I made my way from the computer tables and over to the clothing racks. The two people guarding the racks merely nodded and gave me a small smile of welcome, giving me permission to browse. It didn't take long for me to pick out some clothes that I liked and that fit me. Three shirts, two pairs of pants, a pair of working boots, and a black trench coat. There wasn't much else in the way of coats or jackets, so I figured this would have to do for now. I also picked up the knapsack and stuffed the new clothing into it, minus the coat and one shirt, before heading back to the tables to find Cyrus. The cougar smiled widely as he saw me approach him. Well, look at you now, he said. You look like a new man, kid. Feeling better? I nodded. A lot better, thanks to you, Cyrus. No need to thank me, he said as I sat across from him. Can I see your card? I reached into my pocket and pulled it out. I slid it across the table to him, and he picked it up. Darian Kane, eh? He looked at the card and then at me. Kinda fits. Good choice. He tapped on the card a few times, but I couldn't see what he was doing. After a few moments, he put the card down and slid it back to me. All looks good, kid, he said with a smile. Welcome to your new life. Cyrus hadn't just been checking the card's functionality when he asked to see it. After our exchange, he excused himself to go welcome in a few more people who had arrived, giving me a moment to check my card again. I was surprised to see that the map application now had several landmarks, each of them a place to potentially find work. He also set me up with a transit pass, which would allow me to access the citywide transit network without scrounging for credits each time. There was probably some reason the passes weren't part of the initial setup of the card, but I didn't really bother to ask. Regardless, I now had a means to get around quickly and several places to check out for work in the morning. That wasn't all he gave me, though. There was one other landmark he'd highlighted. It was a location even deeper in Junktown from the warehouse. There was no name assigned to it. Instead, there was an icon of a tiger's head. I smirked. That had to be my reward for making things up with Cyrus. My smile from this morning had returned. The day before had been hell, but now things were starting to come together. I had a new identity, the potential for employment, and most of all, I'd earned the right to train with a Lautari. Things were finally starting to fall into place. I checked the time on my card and saw it was early afternoon. 
From the warehouse, my rendezvous with Krasa was about an hour away. I saw no time specified for the meeting, so I assumed he was there. I was eager to start this new chapter in my life, so after saying goodbye to Cyrus and thanking him once more, I was off. The destination looked like an old, fire-gutted office building. When I got there, I was convinced I was in the wrong place. Still, I had no other choice, so I found a doorway and stepped inside. Sure enough, Krasa was there. I apologized for making him wait, but he waved it off, admitting he was surprised that I was here so early. He figured Cyrus would have me washing dishes or something even more menial as punishment. I told him about Nath and the short conversation we had, which made him tilt his head in curiosity. Perhaps it was that gesture that earned you leniency, he said. On the battlefield, many a soldier dies with their eyes open, as though they were not prepared to end so quickly. He smiled slightly. Closing one's eyes is a sign that their journey has ended. It is not much of a gesture to the dead, but this Nath person and his compatriot understand what you did. You possess a sense of honor, Dallin, though you may not understand this. It just seemed the proper thing to do, I defended. Indeed. We continued to talk for a couple of hours, during which he outlined how the training would go. For three days per week I would meet with him, and every other weekend we would retreat to the mountains. I was curious as to why we were to remain in this city for most of the training. I thought that to learn such an art, one would have to cut themselves off from civilization completely. When I mentioned this, Krasa chuckled. You've watched too many bad movies on the telescreen, he said. The key to someone learning an art as forbidden as ours is to blend in with one's surroundings, to disappear in plain sight. So long as no one knows that you are learning, they will pay you no mind. If they pay you no mind, then they will be more candid around you. Act normal, and you will be surprised what you may learn about your situation and how to rectify it. We continued to talk until I saw the sun was beginning to set. It was time to head home. He took my card from me and added another landmark to the map application, showing where we would meet the next day. I thanked him and, retrieving my card, began making my way back to the dwelling. As I walked, I thought on what he said about blending in. My best non-clan friend, Max, would have called it the greatest living prank ever. Max. Gods. I'd been so distracted over the past couple of days that I hadn't stopped to think about my friends, at least those I'd known before all this happened. Even though Max had no official clan status, I thought sadly that it would be too great a risk to him and his family if I tried to contact him. His mother's fur would go white if she found out her little prodigy was running around with an exile. I thought briefly of my other non-clan friends, and I can't describe how much it hurt knowing I'd never see them again. Losing Shiana was painful, but losing those friends with no clan status was even worse. As I said before, an exile was garbage in both worlds. Once they knew what happened to me, they'd turn away if only to save their own social standings. I barely noticed when my dwelling came into view. I let out a small smile, relieved to finally be there. 
As sore as I was from all the walking, seeing that place gave me the same reaction as seeing the warehouse I had earlier. I felt re-energized and quickly made it to the front door. After stowing my clothes, I headed outside to gather some more firewood for the night. That was when I heard something. A strange sound filled my ears, and I stopped dead in my tracks. It was a disgusting sound, like some alien creature retching somewhere behind the dwelling. Warily, I put down the firewood and walked towards that sound, my whiskers extended full forwards and my fists beginning to clench. Accompanying the retching sound was that of heavy breathing and the unmistakable whimper of someone in trouble. I rounded the corner of the house, and my eyes widened. I could see someone kneeling near where I'd buried the children the night before. The ground still looked disturbed, so the grave was easy to spot. Slowly, I began to walk towards the figure, and the closer I got, the more I could see them shaking. I could hear an almost childlike whimpering coming from the figure, and then watched as it recoiled, made a gurgling sound, and retched again. My nostrils filled with the rotten, acidic smell of sickness and bile. As the figure stopped, it remained hunched over, and soon the whimpering returned, though it sounded weaker than it had before. I could also hear them mumbling. I couldn't make out what they were saying, but it was rhythmic, as though it were a prayer of some sort. What was more shocking was the voice. I recognized it. It was the female cougar from the night before. What was she doing here? To my eternal shame, my first reaction was to just leave her to her fate. But as I heard her retching, I realized I couldn't possibly do such a thing. Her attitude aside, I wasn't about to let a fellow exile suffer like this. What kind of person would I be if I gave more dignity to the dead than to the living? Are you all right? I stuttered trying to use a gentle tone so she wouldn't freak out. It didn't work, because she turned on me and made some fearful sound that finally became a hiss of warning. It's all right, I said, putting my hands up in a submissive gesture. Let me help you. Only silence replied and I moved closer. Gods! The smell of the bile was almost overwhelming. Please, I said. Let me help you. I... I... She tried to stand, and promptly her legs buckled. I stepped forward and caught her, and I realized she'd fainted. At first I thought the worst, but my ears could pick up her faint breathing. Quickly, I picked her up in my arms and carried her back to my dwelling, where I laid her down on the sila mat and went about preparing a fire. Once the place began to warm up, I looked over at her and felt my heart skip a beat. Around her muzzle were traces of something green. Gods. Green bile. She'd contracted Theris fever. It's a sickness often associated with the poor, mainly because the treatment for it is so common and inexpensive that not having it is almost unheard of in Shanto. However, as easy as it is to treat, the consequences of not treating it are dire. Vomiting up green bile is only the first stage of the disease. If left untreated, she could lose all her fur next, and then be subject to lesions on the skin as the disease breaks down her body from the inside out. Finally, the victim ends up dying a twisted, painful death. 
Thankfully, she had only shown the first symptom of the disease, meaning it was treatable. Grandfather once told me that the best treatment for Theris fever was the leaves of the Tolkia plant, both ground up as a paste and steeped as an herbal drink. My mind began racing as I tried to recall what the plant looked like, and as I remembered, I also remembered that I'd seen them on the path leading to this place from the estate. I only hoped there would be enough. I set out immediately, and within a few minutes I had enough of the leaves to help. I placed them on the floor of the dwelling before grabbing the bucket and heading for the pool. I filled the bucket with water, and on my way back to the dwelling I picked up a stone for help in crushing some of the leaves. I set the bucket over the fire and placed the bulk of the leaves in it. Once the water boiled, I would remove it and let it steep overnight. The rest of the leaves, about a handful or so, I began crushing with the rock on the floor, and before long I had the desired paste. I scooped the paste up in my hand and moved towards the cougar. She was still unconscious, so I rolled her onto her side and, after wiping the bile from her muzzle, smeared the paste on her lips. Unconsciously, her tongue darted out and swept the paste into her mouth before swallowing. Her face wrinkled up momentarily before returning to normal. I couldn't help but chuckle. Grandfather had said this remedy was a bitter pill to swallow. I did this a few more times with her until all the paste was gone. This would keep her safe through the night until she could start drinking the tea in the morning. I did my best to make her comfortable, removing her jacket and balling it up for her to use as a pillow. I took a moment to look her over, and I had to admit, for a sharp-tongued, sarcastic, and overall apathetic bitch, she was easy on the eyes. She had all the right curves in all the right places, and when her muzzle wasn't bearing an expression of contempt or apathy, it looked gentle. I lay back on the floor, still wearing my trench coat and making a pillow out of my new knapsack. I curled up as close to the fire as I could after stoking it to ensure the place would stay warm. Despite my exhaustion, I tried to stay awake to make sure she was going to be alright through the night. Alas, sleep finally came, and when it did, I was out. I remember my last thoughts being of her as I finally drifted off to sleep, and I silently prayed that in the morning I wouldn't be burying another exile. And that's our story. When I first started working on this show, I had the idea to record and edit all the chapters of Outcast in one go, recording several chapters each day, and then editing them into a presentable format. That way, doing the show would be relatively easy. All I'd have to do is record the beginning and ending bit, slap the chapter in between, and presto, episode done. However, nine chapters in, my expectations were suddenly managed. To be honest, the recording quality sucked. I mean, it was bad. People can scoff about the microphone I use, but I've heard of Blue Yeti in use with podcasters and YouTubers alike. I had to be doing something wrong. It took some time, and eventually I got the sound to what you're hearing now, which, in my opinion, sounds pretty damn good. Sure, I'd love to someday upgrade to a more professional-grade rig, but when you're not working, well... Let's just say I've got some other priorities. On the writing side, I am pleased to report that I have some progress to brag about. As of this episode, 
the revised chapter one of A New Beginning is complete, and chapter two is well underway. I realize that if I am releasing this show once per week, I have maybe about another 26 weeks to go before Outcast runs out and I do need to have something. It's not like I'm waiting until the last minute. Again, I am dealing with a lot of stressful situations right now. Um, unemployment, the pandemic, which is making it very hard for me to get employment. And the fact that I'm pretty sure at some point, my goodwill with the bank concerning my mortgage is going to run out. Right now I'm on a deferral and I don't know how long that's going to last before they finally say, okay, you know what? We've had enough. It's time to start paying your full share. EI has been great so far. And the fact that I don't have to commute to work every day has been a godsend in terms of fuel costs. However, as good as it is, it's not nearly what I used to have in terms of income before. So if the mortgage does start going back in, up to full rate here in the near future, I may have to start making some pretty hard decisions and I'm not really looking forward to it. However, when it comes to writing, I will do my best to keep with it. I mean, I have been hitting my groove and hopefully in the coming weeks, I'll be able to share more positive progress with you. I'd also like to mention that I've set up an account on Podchaser, thanks to some advice from some fellow podcasters. I'm trying to grow the audience on this show, which is no easy feat when you're first starting out. I mean, sure, I've been working on other podcasts over the years, but promoting one after so long away from doing my own show, eh, things have certainly changed. I'll be placing the link to the Podchaser page in the show notes, and you'll be able to access it and subscribe to the show at podchaser.com slash kickinthecast, as well as through the main site. So I think I'll end it there. Again, thank you all for tuning in. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please feel free to do so at kickit.yo5.ca or now at podchaser.com slash kickinthecast. If you'd like to leave any feedback, my email address is outcastnovel at gmail.com, and you can also use the SpeakPipe feature at the show's website. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.